Welcome back to 90 Days New. Our journey through the New Testament takes us to the book of Mark this week. Uh, this is following Thanksgiving weekend, so I hope you didn't fall too far behind. But uh, if so, we can spend a, a little bit of extra time this week catching up. I'll be doing that uh, a little bit myself because we had some travel plans that took us down several hours uh, south. And so we, I got to do some catching up and that's okay. That's just life. But as we continue to read the New Testament together, uh, we are looking at the Gospel of Mark, which if you've already gone through it a little bit, you will probably feel like you are getting some deja vu. Um, the Gospel of Mark sounds a lot like the Gospel of Luke, and as you get into Matthew later on, you'll realize that there's a lot of repeated material in Matthew as well. Because of that, these three Gospels are considered the synoptic Gospels, synoptic being a term that refers to seeing as with one eye. And they are looking at three things that have such similarity and material and arrangement that oftentimes you may be asking yourself, why did God give us three books that are exactly the same? Well, that would be an overstatement because they're not exactly the same. There are certainly some uniquenesses between each of these gospel accounts. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today is the, the uniquenesses about the gospels and what is the gospel, who is Mark. Uh, rather than go through this chapter by chapter like we did with Luke, I won't repeat all of that since it is so similar, but I do want to draw out the uniquenesses of the gospel writers and specifically Mark since we're dealing with him this week. Uh, the word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means the good news. And you probably knew that the word gospel means good news. Uh, but what is the good news? Well, the good news is that God did not allow us to live in a lost state with our sin, unable to deal with that and to get rid of that, unable to have a relationship with God himself because he cannot be in a relationship with sinful human beings. And so rather than to leave us in that uh, state of despair, he sent his son in human flesh to deal with a human problem. And so Jesus lived a life that we should have lived. He lived a life of perfection and holiness. He lived out a, a life that was obedient to the law of God. And in that life, he offered it up freely to God by being crucified on a cross, dying a death that he did not deserve a death that we did deserve, being buried and resurrected to new life to give us the hope of resurrection to new life. And uh, in his resurrection, he overcame sin and he overcame death, and he sits at the right hand of God forevermore, ruling and reigning. That's the good news. So each of these gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will all give an account of that good news. But it's not just a sketch of the events that took place in Jesus's life. Otherwise, they'd all be the same. Each of these accounts views Jesus's life from a different theological vantage point, which brings us to why three gospel accounts? Why three of them instead of just one? Well, these are not biological sketches. They do not look at Jesus's life and just try to lay out the facts of what happened on Tuesday and then what happened on Wednesday and then what happened on Thursday. This isn't like a, bio, uh, or a biographical look at Abraham Lincoln's life or Hulk Hogan or some other figure in history, but rather they're looking at Jesus's life and drawing out a significant theological point about his life that can be applied to the New Testament church and to our lives. And, uh, so knowing every detail about Jesus' life doesn't really affect us. Yeah, it would have been nice to know because of curiosity's sake, 
but it really doesn't transform and change the New Testament church. But what does transform us and change us is by understanding certain elements of Jesus's life that fulfilled God's demands and which created this bridge between us and God. And those are things that we can hang our hat on at the end of the day. They're significant. And so each gospel writer is writing a theological narrative that is birthed out of circumstances from the early church. And a theological narrative is a way of crafting and arranging the material of Jesus's life. It is historical. They're not making this up, but they do it in such an artistic way that it emphasizes certain themes and certain concepts that otherwise, if you just had a biographical sketch, you might miss these. Um, so they put their own emphasis on the factual historical happenings of Jesus's ministry. Uh, one of the reasons we know that these aren't biological, or I keep saying that, biographical sketches is because we don't have any information about Jesus's life as a 20-year-old. We don't have much about his birth. We have a couple of accounts of his birth. We have a, one brief sketch of him as a 12-year-old. But other than that, we know nothing about him until his earthly ministry begins. And uh, that's a bad biographical sketch if that's what they're doing. But that's not what they're doing. Uh, we look at the book of Luke and we say, what did he do? What did he do with his opportunity to write about the life of Christ? Well, he assembled all the material together in ways that really emphasized Jesus's love and compassion and appeal to those who were outcasts in society, to those who were downtrodden, to those who were poor and who were oppressed, to, the, to those who could not make it on their own. That seems to be his emphasis or one of his many emphases. He writes about Jesus going to the cross, and his entire writing seems to be a one-year ministry, starting with the call of the disciples, heading to Jerusalem the entire time, and concluding with the death on the cross and the resurrection in Jerusalem, and then his writing in Acts being the expansion of uh, the gospel message from that point to the ends of the earth. So there was that symmetry that we see between Luke and Acts of Jesus going to Jerusalem and the gospel going from Jerusalem. That was a theme. Matthew, we know that Matthew has a, a strong thematic tie to the Old Testament, and he wants to show that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Davidic heir. He is the one who was promised from the Old Testament text and from the Old Testament prophets who would come and who would bring salvation to the people of God. And Matthew goes to great strides to make those connections and to show that Jesus is the new David, the new Moses, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. But Mark has a completely different approach here. He's not necessarily ignoring those themes. He may make a mention of Jesus appealing to the poor person or healing a group, a demographic that is outside of the elite and privileged of Israel. But that's not his major emphasis. Yes, he may make connections to the Old Testament and demonstrate that he is the fulfillment, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law and that he is the Davidic heir. Yes, that may occur, but that's not his major emphasis. When we look at the Gospel of Mark, what we find is that he has a major emphasis on Jesus's suffering, uh, the suffering servant aspect. We see that as a major emphasis in Mark's account because a good portion of the book is focused on the Passion Week. And even before you get to the Passion Week, you have several references of Jesus foretelling of his death. 
um, more so than what you will find in the other gospel accounts. And so you get Jesus saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And then he does indeed uh, get turned over to the authorities and he is put to death, which shows that it's a major theme for Mark. And so he suffers uh, though he came and he serves, Mark ten forty five says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So suffering and serving go hand in hand in the book of Mark, and this becomes a very uh, important element of his book. Mark does not have a genealogy, which sets him apart from the other synoptic gospels. Matthew and Luke both have genealogical connections to the Old Testament and to those names that are important for linking Jesus as the Messiah. But since Mark is emphasizing something different, he's not taking the same approach as them. So it's another major difference between Mark and Matthew and Luke. So what are the circumstances under which this book was written? What drove Mark to write what he writes and what caused him to look at it from the vantage point that he's looking at? Well, I think we need to start by asking, who is Mark? As we answer that question, I think maybe some of that information will become more readily available. Mark is not one of the 12 disciples. So we may ask, well, why does he have the authority to write this book at all? Like, who is this? Just some kind of nobody that pops out of nowhere? He's not a disciple. He's probably not even an eyewitness. He probably never walked with Jesus. He never saw his miracles firsthand. Uh, if he did, we certainly don't have a record of that. But what we do have a record of is how Mark probably came to faith. In 1 Peter 5.13, it says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Peter here calls Mark his son. Now, this is not a biological son. This is a son of the faith, just like Paul would call Timothy his son. It is a convert of his. And so Peter would have been responsible for Mark hearing the gospel and Mark responding to the gospel, and maybe even some discipleship took place between Peter and Mark. And because of that, Mark would have heard the stories from Peter. So Peter was a disciple. He did see these things firsthand, and he would have been able to pass them on in detail to Mark. So that gives him some good credibility right there. But not only that, Colossians 4.10 has a reference to Mark from Paul. Paul says that uh, he is sending greetings, and greetings are coming from Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And we know that Paul and Barnabas went on missionary trips, and we know that Mark would have went with them. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that Mark goes with Paul and goes with Barnabas. And uh, since Mark and Barnabas are cousins, they would have shared a lot of information uh, with one another about their faith and what they knew about Jesus. And then Paul would have been uh, a major part of Mark's theology. And so we see these... Uh, these connections. Uh, also, 2 Timothy 4.11 says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. We see Luke, who is an author of the gospel, is a traveling companion with Paul. And Mark, who is an author of a gospel, is a traveling companion with Paul. And so not only does Mark know Paul, he probably knows Luke, and they would have shared some source material as well. That's probably one of the reasons we have such similarity between Luke and Mark in certain areas, uh, because they both had Paul as a reference, and they both would have shared what they knew, and maybe even in writing. There's some good information out there that would suggest that not only are they copying off of one another in areas, but maybe it wasn't even copying each other, but copying a common source. 
uh, and that common source is called Q. If you ever want to go research it, feel free. It's uh, quite interesting to see how certain passages are copied verbatim, word for word. It's not simply they know the same story and are writing about it, but it is, in fact, a, a copying circumstance. And so we look at Mark, and he is definitely surrounded by people who give him credibility. But what else do we know about Mark? Mark was a deserter at one point. When Mark goes with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey, he turns around and he goes back. And because of that, Paul doesn't want to take him on the next missionary journey. And him and Barnabas get so contentious about this issue because Barnabas wants Mark to come. Paul won't do it, and so they split ways, and Paul ends up going with Silas on his next missionary journey. But later on, when he's writing 2 Timothy, he seems to have gotten back in good graces with Mark, and he begins to uh, invite him and speak well of him. And so I think what probably happened, you have to read between the lines here, but what I think happened is Mark turned and deserted when times got tough. I think when Paul and Barnabas go into hostile territory and their lives are being threatened and they're being stoned and left out in the street and these circumstances are unfolding before them, Mark maybe being a young, new Christian, weak in the faith, maybe not fully mature yet, decides that he's not going to have any of that. And so he deserts. Well, something happens in the time between his desertion and when he is being uh, an aid to Paul's ministry later on, something happens that brings him to maturity. So whether that's more of the work of Peter or if that's other Christians speaking into his life, I don't know. But I think maturity happened along the way, and it's probably at this point that he be, uh, begins the process of writing. In fact, we know that this was probably written around 60 AD. And so 30 years after Jesus died and rose again is most likely when Mark was written. And I say all this because if Mark is emphasizing suffering and he's emphasizing persecution, well, that all may have arisen out of his own circumstances because he ran from persecution. He doesn't want other Christians to run from persecution. He doesn't want other deserters in the faith because he sees that it, it's divisive. It caused Paul and Barnabas to split up when they had a good thing going. Um, and so when we are presented with opportunities to suffer for our faith, I think Mark is a good gospel to read. We don't want to be people that tuck tail and run. We don't want to be people that deny Jesus before men. We want to be people that would be willing to go even to death for Jesus Christ. And I think Mark gives us a perspective that may highlight that virtuous um, aspect of Christianity more so than the other gospel writers. Uh, because he's been there. He's seen that. He's done that. And so that's, that's important for Mark. Mark is one of the most detailed Gospels of all of them that we have. Though he's the shortest Gospel, he certainly has more to say about the fewer stories that he records. Uh, because of that shortness, we believe that Mark was probably the first Gospel written. Because it's probably more likely that people took Mark's writing and elaborated with more stories and, and included more accounts, more teachings, and added to them. That's probably what Matthew did. That's probably what Luke did. Um, not that they were only using Mark, but that they certainly 
used it as an outline or at least used the common source material that I ref referenced just earlier. Um, but also Mark uses more Aramaic than any of the other gospel writers. And Aramaic was the language that Jesus and the disciples would have spoke. That was their everyday language, Aramaic. And so as they are writing later on for Greek audiences, they would have translated the Aramaic into Greek. But because Marx was so early, he still included Aramaic because some of the audience were speaking Aramaic. It would make sense for a later writer to take some of Marx's material and take the Aramaic out because it's becoming less and less common. Uh, it would not make sense for Mark to show up later on and take material from Matthew or Luke and to incorporate Aramaic language into it since it's no longer relevant. Because if that's the case, if Mark came later, then we couldn't date it at 60 AD. It would have to have come uh, significantly later. Um, so for those reasons and others, I believe that Mark was the first gospel written, and I believe that Mark, uh, that Matthew and Luke were sharing some source material with Mark in their writing. I think that's pretty obvious from the passage I already read, where Mark and Luke are both common partners with Apostle Paul. And uh, this is just some significant uh, things to understand about Mark and to really elevate our respect for the book because it is such an early look at Jesus's life. And it's uh, one of the earlier Christian writings of the New Testament. So as you read Mark, I hope that you will highlight the elements of suffering, the elements of service, and it would encourage you in your Christian walk and encourage you in how you respond to other people and how you respond to God as we live out our faith in what is sometimes a hostile world. This is all for today, and we will pick this up next time on the next episode of 90 Days New.